Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Today I'd like to talk about suggestibility. Do you know what that is? I'd like to suggest a few things about suggestibility. And I hope your openness is able to receive these suggestions. It really is a quality that must be clear to you. It really must be something that you keep with you. And it's one of those qualities that runs deep because it is applicable to multiple situations. It's applicable to your conversations. It's applicable to your learning. It's applicable to your belief systems, the growth and development of your values, your understanding of your psychology, your opening to different ideas. And another way of saying suggestibility is applicable to everything, or another way of putting it is to say simply you need to be open-minded. Now, is there a difference between suggestibility and open-mindedness? Maybe that's philosophical hair-splitting. But let's just stick with this word, suggestibility. And this is when someone says something to you, and you think, hmm, maybe that could be true. I can see how you've made those connections. I can see why you would say that. I can see how you've come up with this. Now, in every story, an explanation or idea or belief or explanation of values or psychology, there are varying degrees of complexity. And suggestibility is usually a word that's used for, hey, let me suggest something to you. It's just like a little thing. It's a small thing. It's, here's a suggestion. Take it or leave it. That's a conventional definition of this word, suggestibility. Here I'm trying to deepen it. Here I'm trying to broaden it. And here I'm trying to make it so that this word, suggestibility, is a trigger that allows you to remember that a suggestion has a whole web of complexes behind it. Strings of reasoning, descriptions, processes. So when we talk about a belief system or a structure or a, a psychology of, of the mind or someone's inner world, and they suggest something to you, well, that's them giving you a very small piece of that world. And your ability to be open to the suggestibility is to recognize that it's only a small piece and there's so much more to it. So with that in mind, there's something else I'd like to talk about today. Not just suggestibility, although it's related to suggestibility, 
and that is that I'd like to reflect a little bit on time travel. Now, I had an episode which was titled Andrew Lake Does Time Travel Civilization 2618 And that was a sort of personal testament or the story of my experience with time travel quite literally Phone call comes up. Hey, Andrew, do you want to go on this time travel mission? This is the military. The AI bots have calculated the body mass index. Your stepbrother can't make it, and you're the best next fit. So you can come along on this trip and go into the future and see Civilization 2618. How do you feel about it? Now, that's a very... (laughs) Immediately, I see a a thousand questions appear before me. (laughs) This is the motherload of of suggestibility. (laughs) And there really is so much. There's so much to explain. And even in that original episode, even in that, that story that I told in that episode, Andrew Lake does time travel, it... There's still more. There's still more to explain. And and it might even be that I write a book about it. I could write a book about it. In fact, I'm going to. At some point, it, if, if the universe is up for it and things turn out how they should, then I'm going to write more about it. And I listened to that episode and there's a lot of distress. I'm quite... I'm quite serious and I'm very, how to say, I'm insistent. I'm trying very hard to convince whoever's listening. I'm trying very hard to illustrate how big it is, how important it is, how shocking it was to me. And it was very shocking. And you know what? The truth of the matter, one thing I really should say and make clear right here, right now, is that that experience, not the episode, the episode is just me talking about it, but the actual experience, that actual experience, it's still with me. And it's been with me ever since it happened. And in lots of little different ways, it's come up again and again, and again, almost on a daily basis. And it's now been, it must be over two years since it happened. I can't remember which month month it was. I think it was April. So, so just over two years that the actual event happened. And then I didn't talk about it for quite some time. So probably a year or so since I did that episode. And and it's still with me, and there's still so much that that event has done 
for my perspective, for my understanding of global culture, for my understanding of time, and most deeply, my relationship to reality. It really has changed my whole sense of what it means to be in reality. Because it was an existential experience. It was a grand experience. And it was quite distressful and it was very hard to make sense of. And in some ways I still don't make sense of it. Making, making sense is not a... I'm not even trying to make sense of it. I don't need to make sense of it. But also, because some time has passed, I have been able to enfold certain parts of it, certain aspects of it, into my understanding. Now, when we have these, let's say, spiritual breakthroughs or these experiences, and they're very large, and they're shocking to our structure, this whole structure of our inner world, then they stay for a long time and they do change. They merge out. And they don't merge out in that they become less significant. They merge out in that the, the structure readapts. The structure changes. You have a new structure. You have a new way of being. And in a sense, these grand, dramatic, powerful experiences become normal, or at least understandable in, in a small way, at least partly, but that doesn't change the significance of them. And one of the beautiful things about waking up and having these experiences is that you can have largely meaningful things and their meaning doesn't dissipate. It just shifts in a different way. And it's not like what it's like to live down in first-tier thinking, or for a better phrase, with a lack of multidimensional thinking, or a lack of ability to adapt with the mind, or quite simply to be living in darkness, where events happen in life and then they fade Or even worse, they become a, a longing for yesteryear. They, they become a, oh, a nostalgia, melancholy of why couldn't have things been the way they were? Why couldn't I have the good times all the time? Now, of course, I'm guilty of that. So I'm not saying that I'm up here holier than now. But I know both sides. I know both worlds. And the better part of me is aware of these things. So when it comes to time travel, it's still significant to me. And at the time, when I was first starting to talk a little bit about it, I, I, I told a few people and, and they were open. I was lucky that I was speaking to people who were... They, they were open-minded. They, they had a suggestibility. They had an amount of suggestibility. And I wonder if they were worried about me. They were quite worried about my sanity. And to be honest, I was too. That was, that's part of the trip. That's part of the significance of it. The, the, the sanity 
the the doors of insanity were were knocked upon in that experience so the few people that i told had a an okay reaction they had an understandable reaction and they were open they were at least to some degree about it now since then i've been traveling and i've been studying and I've been talking to many different kinds of people, and I've been able to share my experiences of time travel with people who are a little bit more experienced. And this comes to my next big point, which is the importance of like-minded people. Now, when we say to someone, oh, that person's open-minded, or that person has a good amount of suggestibility. That person really does listen when I say new ideas to them. That's one thing. And that is a whole different game to someone who is like-minded. Someone who really is experienced. And I've met certain people, only a few, very, very few, and I've been able to talk to them and share with them my experiences of time travel. And they say, actually, you know what? This is real. Actually, you know what? It, it sounds like this experience, which has happened over here. And actually, there are, there are explanations for this, which don't degrade it as, oh, you're insane. Oh, this is wrong. Oh, you just had a hallucination. Oh, you're just being full of yourself. It's an ego defense mechanism. No, none of that. Actually, there is. There is a way that this can fit into the larger explanation of reality. And it's just that the people that I... There was really, there was really one person where this moment happened for me. This person that I spoke to, they didn't even know exactly how it would fit into a more complex and larger web of understanding reality or, or a, a theory of reality. But she knew that these things happen and they happen in different ways. And she, she knew a lot of people. She knew a lot of people from all walks of life with lots of different complexes to them. Now, she was in a community where these deep existential and psychological and narrative and experiential breakthroughs, well, that there's whole varieties of them. And there's people that have had multiple amounts of them throughout a lifetime. And she was open enough to say, hey, I don't understand that. You know, I really haven't had that sort of experience myself. Not in that way. But I can... I can un see, see, this is, the, this is the funny thing about words. I, I come up this again and again, is understanding. She, she understood that she didn't understand. And that was a deep understanding. If only there was nuances, there were different words for this word understanding. 
And when I had this conversation with her, it wasn't a matter of suggestibility. It wasn't a sense of, hey, let me try and convince you. Let me try and suggest this to you. Let me really speak, like, like speak really seriously. Like, can you believe this? Ah, oh, this was so dramatic to me. That tone of voice. I didn't need to do that. And maybe it has been that I just learned how to not talk so much like that. And I do still talk like that on certain things. But in this case, maybe it was that I was communicating better. Maybe it was that I could explain it better. So suggestibility is still within a spectrum of like-minded people on one side who are experienced and can well adapt new information into their world perspective, even if it's incomplete. And on the other side, the people that are open, but they're still going to scratch their heads and, and squint their eyes and say, Wolf, is Doster okay? Should we call a should we call a psychiatric ward for Dosta? <laughs> so about time travel itself, it's it's still a very big thing and I feel I could I could either either write a book about it or we can do a series on it. And at some point in the future I'm gonna bring to <laughs> it's funny to say <laughs> did you hear what i just said <laughs> uh, this is this is too much at some point in the future we're going to do we're going to do time travel <laughs> oh uh. At some point in the future, we're going to do a series on how to do time travel. <laughs> I guess I guess I should say we've already done the series on time travel. <laughs> Whoa. There's something you see there's something so big there. It's so big just it's like it's like playing with plutonium. You get a few inches close to it and woo, things just get Oh, things get heavy. Okay. Okay. At some point let me just let me just I think I've explained this enough. We've we've run over this speed bump enough. So let me now demonstrate how to come back to conventional talking and we together Enfold our words, collapse them up, put them into a little box, and hold them in our hands. And what I'm about to say will be conventional meanings to the words. And I'll try not to get carried away with the experiential existentialism. <laughs> Here we go. At some point in the future, we're going to do a series on time travel and we will explore everything we'll go into all the ins and outs we'll answer all the questions and we'll do it together and that will be a glorious moment that will be a, a, 
a beautiful endeavor for us to do. So let me just polish off that point. Now, another big thing about suggestibility and like-minded people is the component of it doesn't matter to others what is true to you. Follow your own truth. Know your own truth. And this is related to this idea that the more people believe something or the more common an experience is, the more real it is or the more believable, the more believable it is or the more you should take it for granted. Now, the new atheists have this thing of, well, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Have you heard that one before? And there's a very big problem with that. There's a very big problem with that. Because it's simple closed-mindedness. It's simple stuck. It's a, it's a, it's a stickiness. It's a finiteness in navigating through world perspectives. And that's the last thing we want. That's, that's, that goes against everything we are going for here. What we're going for here is multi-perspectival navigating, which is on steroids. And to do that, you need to be able to move straight in and out of all perspectives. And this is a radical, radical turnaround. It's, it's, it's a reverse skepticism. Now, I had, I've talked about res, reverse skepticism before. And in a nutshell, the new atheist says, well, well, nothing is true unless you prove it to be true. So if you have this extraordinary experience, give me some extraordinary evidence, and then I'll believe you. And that's skepticism 101. Nothing is true. Question everything. Now, reverse skepticism is the opposite of that. Everything is true. Everything is true. Now, this, this works wonders for your suggestibility. That really is the core of suggestibility. When someone sits down to you to suggest something, you have to be saying, this is true. You think to yourself, you've got that little voice in the back of your head, Instead of that little voice being an atheist, which says, no, give me evidence. No, that's not true. No, I don't believe you. Huh. Instead, you have this little voice saying, yes, tell me more. Yes, this is true. Yes, this, this is obviously true to you, at least in some part, in some way. And you do that with a understanding that there's more to the story. And it's easy to get confused by half-truths. And how you act on truth is another story. Now, it might be that you sit there and you're very suggestible. And you say, well, Dost is telling me this story about time travel. And okay, let's say it's true. Let's say if what he's saying is true. But I'm still going to clean my teeth in the morning. I'm still going to have to sweep the garden porch or mow the lawn 
still have to go do my groceries, so what does it change? It doesn't change anything. And right there is a skewer or a rabbit hole, which is, well, actually, things do start to unravel when you open to these ideas, when you open to these beliefs. And sometimes it's gradual, sometimes it's dramatic. And this relationship between your psychology and your behavior is, is a tricky one. It's not always the most appropriate analysis or appropriate attitude to suggestibility. So have some reverse skepticism. Have some suggestibility. And really, when you... I feel like I haven't said enough about this knowing your own truth. So the, the reverse... The reverse skepticism is the other side of that, or the the being with like-minded people is is one thing, and then the other side, this this thing of knowing your own truth and having a very unique experience, that is there's no way around that that I can see. Because as you get further and further, higher and higher into these, I don't know what to call, let's say, mystical realms or these existential experiences, they become more and more personal. And they also become more and more rare. They also become more and more difficult to explain in finite words. So suggestibility and communicating something to someone and having someone understand it doesn't matter so much. And maybe this comes back to like-minded people. Maybe this is just that, well, those people do do exist and you need to go and find them. And when I say you, I mean me. I mean, I've done done some of the legwork, which is why I can talk about this. But still, for time travel, for me, there's, there's no one that can take that away from me. There's no, there's, n- there's nothing that can change that that experience happened to me and that it was real. And I, I can see, as for every word that comes out of my mouth, I can see there are multiple contradictions there are multiple things that need to explain, need to be explained. And I can see that there's a difference between you and me for each word. For example, what does it mean to have a real experience? Can you even make a difference between a real experience and a non-real experience? Is there anything that you haven't experienced? And now I see each moment it continues. This dancing between the fluid and the solid. 
between an explanation which, which fits conventional talking and one that doesn't. Conventional talking is used for explaining conventional things. And esoteric talking is used to explain esoteric things. That might seem quite simple. That might seem like a tautology. But really, it's important to understand. And there's a third part to that. We have conventional things for conventional talk and esoteric things for esoteric talk. But there's another, there's another realm. There's the theosphere or the, the theology. And I don't mean theology in terms of religious studies. I mean theology as in the story of what we can't talk about. Because even when we have esoteric talk for esoteric experiences, there's still a limit to the words. There's still something that's not quite working with the finitude, the the finiteness. I don't know what the... I don't know if finite can be an adjective. Can it? Well, it is an adjective. But yeah, I'm I'm digressing now. It's it's well it comes back to a matter of for me now it's coming back to a matter of playfulness and how we navigate these things. And time travel for me has at times been very serious and very alarming and trying to suggest it to people has been somewhat stressful at times. But since then, since all that's happened and all that's changed, I've been able to see that you can play with these ideas. And it's a very it's a very deep art to play with something and yet still respect its meaning. To still respect its significance. Often playfulness is seen as a degrading act or a belittling act. So the nature of which we discuss these ideas and we navigate them is very important. And there have been many other experiences for me. And some of them are actually easier to explain. Some of them fit better into conventional talk. And there is always, there will always be the narrative. There will always be, this happened in this place with these people, with these objects, and then this happened, and then this happened. That sort of ABC narrative. Even that, like, the narrative is a very, see, that's very conventional kind of talk. That's very simple. That's a very low, like the mythical 
the, the mythical stage of psychological development is only the, th- the second or third stage. We've had mythic psychology for hundreds of years. It predates science. It predates romanticism. It predates the modern era. All of that for thousands of years. Or millennia. Even more. I know that's what, that's what a millennia is, is a thousand years. <laughs> for thousands and millennia. <laughs> but because it's so low, it doesn't mean that it's low as in that it's not better. It's actually low as in it's more foundational. So when I say the mythic stage of development is low, I don't mean it as in it's weak or it's not as good as science or rationality or pluralism. No, it's actually still very effective. And all those higher states, all these higher things can be translated down into those lower psychologies. Multiple stages of psychology, they're they're all able to fit into each other. Do you realize that? But still something is lost. And that's the tricky thing, because if you, well, that's, that's the difference between an open-mindedness and a, an, an explaining away. Well, here's an explanation which explains it away. Do you know the difference between explaining something away and explaining something in? When you explain something in, it changes you. When you explain something in, you have a reaction to it. When you explain something in, it causes you to feel something, to have something, which is emotional, but not necessarily emotional. It's experiential. And it does something to the structure. It does something to your everyday sense of ideas, sense of beliefs, thoughts. Whereas when you explain something away, you just forget about it. When you explain something away, every time it comes up, you have the same explanation for it. Oh, Dost is talking about time travel. He's crazy. It's a simple explanation. Every time it comes up, Well, that's just explaining it away. So keep these tricks with you and be aware of them. Suggestibility. Next time someone is suggesting something to you, and they don't have to be suggesting it in a conventional way, any words you hear, is anything you hear where someone's talking is a suggestion. So keep your suggestibility on track. Keep your open-mindedness in your awareness. And find like-minded people. And know what is in you that doesn't matter and doesn't change if you explain it or not to others. And also, do time travel. (laughs) So that's my... 
rant for today. And there really is so much to... There really is so much to say about time travel. Don't get me started on it. I don't want to open up just yet. It's it's like that reaction I had. It's I I'm getting this vision of these kittens and they're they're playing with some plutonium as if it's a ball of string. <laughs> so I don't I don't want to I don't want to be that kitten today. <laughs> Plutonium is not safe for kittens, please. <laughs> okay. And now, you know what time it is. Surprise spontaneous meditation. So whatever you're doing, well, I'm not going to insist on you. If it's okay for you. Well, well, let me ask you, have you done any meditation today? If you've done your daily meditation, take this as a bonus. If you haven't done any meditation, take this as, well, I've done none, so I'll just do a few minutes now. Just a few minutes. It's very short. So don't distract yourself by going to the next podcast episode or the next video or checking your social media or your next task, your next creative project. You might have been doing something while listening to this. That's great. If you're driving, well, you can pull over, but don't close your eyes if you're driving. But just stop what you're doing, and if it's comfortable for you to do so, sit down right now for a few moments. And we're just going to sit and relax. We don't need a fancy technique. We don't need any giant mystical time travel experiences. Just close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, and sit quietly. And be respectful to how you feel. Honor your feelings. And say, yes, I listen to my feelings. And listen to your mind. What thoughts keep coming up? What are your thoughts trying to tell you? And they might not be very profound. They might be very mundane, they might be very normal, and there's nothing wrong with that. You just listen to them. And say, yes, I honor my thoughts. Take a few moments to sit quietly with your feelings and your thoughts. And that's all I have to say for now.